Film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it. I'm your host, Edward Frumkin, and this is Real Print. In this episode, contributor Sean Naughton and I dissect the highly anticipated films playing at the 2022 Outfest Film Festival. Then I review casting John Bonet, one of Alexandra Sturgio's recommendations. Finally, in today's concluding thought, I talk about how podcasting is a career for me. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio and enjoy the show. Thank you for coming to today's episode, Sean. Of course, Eddie. Always happy to be here. Yeah, we're going to talk about one of the biggest LGBTQ plus film festivals in this episode, Outfest, which has gone to show a lot of great films over the years. Like last year they had The Novice and uh, like I know that they were part of the restoration of Fairy Burning and do a lot more things than just the Outfest LA Film Festival or the Outfest Fusion that dedicates the works and stories from BIPOC queer communities and that I'm excited to see some of the films that's coming to play. Like I want to start off with the opening night film, Anything's Possible, like the high school romantic comedy from Billy Porter in his directorial debut as it has been a highly anticipated film in a while. And uh, I know it used to be called What If, I saw it on the Sundance bucket list, but I'm happy that it's getting a chance to premiere at this tremendous festival before I think it comes on Amazon. Some of the centerpiece films includes like the platinum centerpiece H-E-B-G-B TV, please correct me, but it seems like a horror film where, where there is a character named Knucklehead appears in the living room begins to curate nostalgic queer killer con that might just make them never sleep again and it's a queer tribute to goofy horror hijinks and cable access shenanigans Mm -hmm. and there's also going to be mama bears a documentary about um, the strength and the protection that many mothers give to their queer children and many of them come from Christian conservative backgrounds and the U.S. centerpiece is unidentified objects which just play that inside out where Peter a self-described college educated homosexual dwarf keeps to himself in his apartment as he reels from the recent loss of his closest friend and his solitary existence upended when his quirky neighbor Winona shows up as door with a favor to ask. She'd like to borrow his car so she can drive to the remote Canadian field where aliens are due to beam her aboard their ship. It's a commies and can't wait for that. And the closing night film is John Logan's They Them, where Kevin Bacon is the head counselor of a quote unquote summer camp, which is actually a conversion therapy center. But yeah, like with they, them, I think that 
that movie should be titled something else just because like I saw Jane Sherburn tweeting that uh, th th there are better titles for this and this is and John Logan is a cis queer male but he but it does send and there is a lot of uh, horror misconceptions that's within the how they represent queer people while it is a, a line that's hard to present but I hope that the film be good. Like I can't wait for all these um, opening night, closing night galas and the centerpieces. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that all these um, films are going to be super in interesting to watch. I think they them is the one I've heard about the most probably going into this. And I assume I, I I'm not sure. I, I always I've been calling it they slash them just because I'm that's like the cleverness of the title, I guess as the sort of horror movie um which to me like I completely understand the controversy of it and like I also get why that that title might have been just a little too like uh <laughs> unable to resist that sort of just kind of cheeky cleverness of that title so um yeah I mean there's Mama Bear sounds great as well I like how they have a sort of centerpiece for each like a narrative feature documentary they also have the like legacy feature with Todd Haynes's uh, Far From Heaven mm -hmm. which I just think is a pretty just incredible film another just outright oh I'm sorry to interrupt you Sean but no, go ahead. another great legacy screen that you should definitely go to if you're in LA I don't think there will be a digital screening and it's Patrick Ian Polk's Punks as Punks is about four black and about four queer black and brown men living in LA and has Seth Gilliam of The Wire and The Walking Dead in one of his first acting roles. And also there is Rockman Dunbar, Lorda Divine of the Carmichael Show, and Dwight Ewo, who's famous for playing Hooper X in Chasing Amy, as this film got a lot of buzz. Like through word of mouth when it premiered at Sundance in 20, 2000 and as well as its Outfest LA screening in that year. But this movie never got the chance to be seen through a public distribution as there are so many factors why this film was shelved. But in May last month, I got to see a rare free screening of punks at Brooklyn Academy Music that Newfest teamed up with. Ian Paul and I was just one of the many first time viewers like I was probably one years I was one years old when punks came out and I hope that this film will be this screening will st be the start of a new avenue of showing it more frequently than its rare screenings on either Bravo or Logo I forgot the channel but I do hope everyone gets to see punks at least once in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great film to point out. Um, I, I haven't seen it, but um, I think it's also interesting just kind of within the, the like legacy films that they have screening here. There seems to be like a really eclectic uh, variety because you have Far From Heaven, which you mentioned, Punks. And then there's also uh, Clive Barker is going to be have a discussion with his um, the director's cut of Nightbreed a film of his and Clive Barker, um, who I know primarily from the Hellraiser franchise. Um, 
so you got horror there and i think there's also a league of their own is also playing in a that's that's a free screening as well yeah the, the um, tv series not the 92 tom Hanks oh i see Michael directed movie my mistake then but i think yeah just uh it's worth also just pointing out in general i think that just emphasizing that this is a pretty like um expansive festival in terms of both its offerings virtually and in person i think that um both definitely have many films that we're seeing on either on a computer or in person Mm -hmm. yeah there are some other films that i want to give shout outs like the documentary sirens about the all-female lebanese rock band slaves to sirens framing agnes about um a person, a woman, a trans woman named Agnes entering a, a study about sex disorders at UCLA to get gender affirming care she needed in 1958. And her story never got to be really be known and is considered to be exceptional until never before seen case files of other patients were found in 2017 as Chase Joint gets an all star cast of. Angelica Ross of uh, Pose, Jen Richards of Transparent, Zachary Drucker, Theos Howard, who has directed several films and episodes of Transparent, and Stephen Ira to um, bring these unknown people to life. And I got to see that through Sundance, where it won the two next awards. And uh, there's going to be other documentaries about Loving Highsmith from author Patricia Highsmith and also another one on Colin Higgins, the Australian director of 9 to 5 and I'm happy to see these legends that are important to both queer history and history of the arts and the literature getting their dues in in these documentaries. Today's review, Casting John Bonet. I first heard the film a couple years ago after I saw Kitty Green's The Assistant at the Jonathan B. Murray Center program based on a true story conference. I did not know much about her before seeing her works, but I was intrigued by how she incorporates honest truths and research in her fiction film debut, The Assistant. It got me to pay attention watching her prior documentaries. I never saw any of them until Alex Sergio brought up casting JonBenet as a film to watch in our conversation. It gave me a reason to see and speak about it in this segment. For those who don't know, the film follows JonBenet Ramsey's death and the significant impact it left behind in Boulder, Colorado. Though its entry point is JonBenet's death case, it delves into how events become pop culture phenomenons affecting the people nearby at the time and conspiracies regarding true crime. In addition, it follows the casting process for the reenactments in the documentary and many match cuts of the same scene with different actors. Without going to much spoiler territory, I give it 4 out of 5 stars. I enjoy that it focuses on the human psyche instead of the actual events. It is essential to see how not all crime films are about the crime, but examining how this tragic event changes 
everyone's outlook in life and how it affects future generations of Boulder. It made me think of the tropes commonly seen in this genre, especially with gender as it peels back layers of masculinity and how the women in this film can do more than be a parent, spouse, or victim. While the film may not fully express the cast changed and arc from their participation in the dock, the film keeps the audience on the edge of its seat. It has suspense and some eye-grabbing moments of character introductions in the transitions of the reenactments and filmmaking process. Kitty Green's as well as Robert Green's films play a lot with performance. And I love how Kitty presents an inner feeling of anxiety. She shows human connections through actors getting to character and sharing their life experiences with the characters they play in the film as they incorporate that so well into the characters they play on screen. It's an exquisite film and I hope you get a chance to see it soon on Netflix. And that's my take. Sundance's Dulce Siones from Juan Pablo Gonzalez, where Maria is the owner of a tequila factory and tries to keep it together. And uh, there's Mars One that just played at Tribeca as Mars One is a young woman discovering her queerness and taking a brave leap into new love. And it's a tender family drama with a sensual love story that I can't wait. Like, I'm planning to see that movie at Black Star. So I mm. hope to, like, I hope to see it there. And uh, then there is the Tribeca Films, Three-Headed Beast, which I thought they would win an award from this. That's still about the bisexual couple, Peter and Nina, to ex beginning to explore boundaries of their open relationship. And Break the Ice, which is about, don't worry guys, I'm getting there. It's about Mira holding no bars when it comes to ice hockey as her team's captain. She can't afford to let her guard down. She leads with precision and determination and tries to balance that and her personal life. And want to give a special shout out to the True False Selected film. It runs in the family that just played at Third Horizon Film Festival. As It Runs in the Family is about, it follows the death of a close Oh, that I just read the short film that's accompanies with It Runs the Family, A Cien La Tierra Como en el Cielo, which follows the death of a close uncle, siblings, grandma, Lucia, and Nora are forced to interact with each other and their extended family during the customary nine days of Anovenario. And the actual It Runs the Family, where Victoria Linares, the film's director, traces the life of her cousin Oscar Torres, a pioneer of Caribbean cinema and participant in leftist movements during the 40s, and most crucially, a fellow queer person in the family. And that's, a th I have to see that coming back to life and knowing so much of like what his contributions to the cinema 
in the Caribbeans. And like there's also some good shorts. Like there are two that feature Coleman Domingo. One is where he acts in the Western, where he and his spouse tries to save the actual or living life in the farm. Like I, and also he co-directed a short with his spouse Raul, and the, the and it's called New Moon, where a young boy and his mother's inner city dreams are accompanied by the magic of Aretha Franklin under the moonlight in West Philadelphia. And he's and North Star is where a rural rancher and his ailing husband struggling against poverty and isolation make a heartbreaking decision in order to preserve the dignity of their marriage. And it also has Kevin Bacon in that film. And like it's just that this festival does so much in recognizing the greatness and the possibilities of film and to dedicate the LGBTQ plus communities, like the artists and also audiences as well. And as we said earlier, there's many docs, there are comedies, there are horror films. Like there is not just the stereotypical stories about coming out or about AIDS and just to see people be free from uh, the quote-unquote society's rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point um, where, you know, it's not just like LGBTQ films are a genre unto themselves and you can kind of lump them all in as, like you said, AIDS films or coming out films, but they have now, um, you can have a genre film in as a horror film or uh, character studies otherwise and sports dramas or, um, I was looking at the shorts and I know the shorts are much more your, your forte. So I was going to, wanted to point out a couple on the ones with Coleman Domingo, of course, are the ones that stood out to me as well. So, um, I just think he's been doing incredible work the past couple of years and those shorts look pretty, um, both him in front of him in front and behind the camera sound really interesting um and you also mentioned Dos Estaciones which I I knew you're a big fan of <laughs> I was gonna shout out as well a little bit um I guess the last couple of things I'd say is um I don't want to keep going back to the legacy films too much because there's so many current films that are great but I Hooker by Crook is also a great um I think celebrating its 20th anniversary this year another great um landmark LGBTQ film. And also um, Peter von Kant, which is one that kind of stood out to me just as I was reading synopses of these films. And it's a, um, a pretty Francois Ozon of Eight Women in Summer of 85, um, doing a sort of remolding of Reiner Werner Fassbinder's um, Bitter Spheres of Petra von Kant, which he um, was, of course, a sort of historic massive figure in um lgbtq sort of films in his short but very um prolific um filmography and in his directorial work so i think that i want to shout out that film um as a sort of really interesting to keep your eye on it it's also including um uh, i mess his name up but hana shigula who is um who was a fast regular and so really interesting to see how they sort of 
I feel like that film in and of itself can sort of encapsulate like how far um, LGBTQ films have come on the big screen, a sort of like overarching from the last 50 years when Fassbender's film came out, you can sort of see how much more open and expressive and um, genre breaking, transcendent all these films can be. And I think that um, just in general, this festival is a sort of great melting pot of all these great films and visions and experiences uh, that are now coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. I want to give uh, a couple of shout outs, but first I want to say that's important to mention about Warner Fassbender. Like he does, he probably made more feature films in the amount of years he lived, but they were all great melodramas. Like I only saw Ali Theory to Soul, but I'll do my best to see like the bitter of something, I forgot her name. The bitter and, Tears of Petrovank. <laughs> yeah, that. And also, like The Merchant, The Four Seasons, I think it's called, and The Fox and the Friends. Like, those are like the big three that I'm trying to. It's also tough because it's sometimes it's hard to separate the art from the artist in Fastbin. We can go on an entire tangent, we won't, um, just because his personal life was. Uh, much messier than his films, even though his films are plenty messy. <laughs> um, but I think it's just, yeah, you kind of, he's an undeniable figure and um, his inclusion sort of in this film and in historically in LGBTQ films is, is undeniable, yeah. And like, I want to see if there's other special events or, oh, there's going to be LeBau Mech, which is a in the new 4K restoration screening where this compelling feature from the golden age of French gay adult cinema, director Wallace Potts entreats us to enter the world of Carl Forrest, an athlete, hustler, and an it boy, filmed on location in parks, bars, and the streets of Paris. Forrest narrates his early life, predilections, and philosophy of male beauty, including his own, while enacting fantasies of encounters with working men, soldiers, and his adoring public. And like, I can't wait for that. And we said there's already good legacy screenings and there's going to be a great legacy screening from readings from DC, where in 1979, tens of thousands of LGBTQ plus activists converge on the National Mall to participate in the National March on Washington for Lesbian Gay Rights and features Jan Oxenberg and Barbara Hammer, like two great filmmakers in their own right, and the, the Caquettes, which is a documentary that follows the gender subversive hippie drag troupe of the same name that becomes one of the ultimate countercultural happenings of the San Francisco and the nearly forgotten chapter in LGBTQ plus history. And like, as we said, there's so many great films, so many services that the nonprofit org Outfest offers like every year, like all 12 months of the year. And you should really try to see some of these films online. Like I'll definitely wait for anything's possible on Amazon and they slash them or they them on Peacock. 
but this is such great offerings and like I understand that we have so much topics of films happening but I'll do my best to feature film, film festivals that do not get as much recognition as a cons or Sundance so I hope that you get to hear some of these great you get to hear our great thoughts in these films like I only seen a couple features but it is what it is and probably have a good day Sean you have a good one too Eddie thanks today's concluding thought podcasting as a career I can't believe that I started this venture and will make it six month anniversary this month it contains a lot of personal milestones and cherished memories even though I was skeptical if I could pull it through I found joy in waiting for guest availability, brainstorming many ideas for the contributor talks, researching people's journeys through reading past articles, or being attentive to multiple viewings of X film. I cannot go down from here as I'm gaining more guests with mutual connections and hope to see them more in an in-person setting. But unfortunately, I have a hard time describing what I do to others. Some people think that you get paid to represent your occupation. As we live in the capitalist society that creates financial and socio-economic divisions, people expect you to have a paid job. I'm from the North Chicago suburbs and there are a few sustainable paths to being an artist or filmmaker or even a critic sometimes. With that in mind, some adults who saw me growing up have no idea I have a career in this field. They question its legitimacy and if I have an income. All I have to say is, that this is not a hobby, this is not a dream, doing real print is a career, you do not necessarily have to be financially paid to have a job, I'm, I'm still gaining experience and this is a professional activity. Professional activities should be something you have fun doing that boosts your credibility. It takes years to get to where you want to be and no one will be an overnight sensation. Though I'm privileged to do this, I know not everybody can have multiple side hustles or have the financial security to do that. While I am doing real print frequently, it does not mean that I'm not applying for jobs. I wish I could do better at applying for more real jobs these adults expect me to have. While I thank them for reminding me to submit resumes and cover letters, they do not know how independent artworks get made and that I can make a profit from real print. I may spend too much time on this, but they must be patient. I have never got many interviews and it's a mixture of variables. It's either the way my resume is presented on paper or that there were other suitable candidates. I can't fully control the world and they need to know that others decide why and where I am. I can only wait and apply. I may get an informational interview or two, but getting a job is a waiting process and you can't get what you want. We live in a horrible economy during a pandemic, so we should not put a bar on a deadline. However, I hope I get one soon so that these adults I look up to in the suburbs can stop yapping at me for not having their definition of a job. And that's today's concluding thought.
Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation, courtesy of Kama, Like Clockwork by Benjamin Kling, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds, and Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is R-E-E-L print.org. This is Edward Frumpkin signing off.